morning once again. I'm really grateful, as always, when I get a chance to preach and to really wrestle with God and God's word and figure out what is God's good news for us this morning. And so this morning, we're going to be delving into the story of the prophet Elijah, the burnt out prophet, and how he receives from God in the sheer silence. And so I'm really excited um, for the good news that God has spoken to me for myself and hopefully for you as well. Um, so I just invite you to join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for what God might be speaking to us this morning. God, we thank you that you are a God who is attentive to us. God, you come close and you listen to us. Even when we're struggling, even in our hardest moments, God, you are there. So would you open our ears to the still, small voice that brings healing, life, and truth. Lord, would any voices that are not from you be silenced this morning? And would your voice be loud? Would we be able to encounter you and experience you in the stillness and the silence this morning? We pray all of this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. So as you guys know, we're in a sermon series called Words, and Pastor John has been talking about how words have the potential to bring life and health to our relationships or death and destruction, and that the words we say actually reveal what is inside our hearts. Um, so it's been some powerful and convicting and encouraging um, sermons. And this morning, I'm actually gonna go in a different direction, because um, I really wanna focus on God's words towards us, and especially God's words towards us when we are down in the dumps, when we're struggling, when we're at the end of our rope. So as we begin, I have a question that I want you all to reflect on, and that is, what are some of the words that have encouraged you in the hardest moments? So what are some of the words that have encouraged you in the hardest moments of your life? What were they? Who said them? And what effect did they have on you? For me, the most powerful words that I've received are, of course, first from Scripture, which is the most authoritative word of God and the general word of God to his people. But I also came to learn later in my faith journey that God wants a conversational, personal relationship with us. So I've received personal words from God that have spoken to me in my experience, my personal experience. And so those are the words that I really wanna focus on today. Words that God wants to share with us through prayerful silence. Words that we can hear when we tune into the still, small voice of God. So when I talk about God's words, those words in our inner spirit that can easily be mistaken maybe for our own thoughts, those are the words that I want us to focus on this morning. And if you forget literally everything that I say, I want you to remember this, that God speaks to us in our hardest moments and that God wants to come close to us. He wants to speak to us in our hardest moments and he speaks especially in the silence. So those two points I really wanna hit home for us this morning. 
And if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 3 through 16. So I often think of the Old Testament kind of like a soap opera because there's so much going on. There's so much drama and action. And so this is a jam-packed narrative passage that continues the story of the prophet Elijah. So Elijah just had a dramatic showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And he's now fleeing for his life from the evil queen Jezebel. So we're starting in verse 3. in chapter 19 of the book of 1 Kings. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So thanks for bearing with that longer passage. 
Um, there's a ton going on, but I really want us to focus our attention on how God responds to Elijah when he's at the end of his rope. So in our passage, we see that Elijah, who in other places we see as this super successful and powerful, mighty prophet of God. A few chapters earlier, he was calling down lightning from the heavens. He was performing amazing miracles. He was slaying false prophets. But at the start of our passage, we see that he's done. He's over it. He's thrown in the towel. He wants to give up. He's exhausted, afraid hungry, thirsty, and even struggling with suicidal thoughts. Elijah is hanging on by the tiniest of threads. One thing I appreciate about the prophet Elijah in this narrative is that he is so utterly human. In the Bible, I remember as a kid, I would learn about the heroes and it just seemed like they had everything together and they were perfect and could do no wrong. But when you read the Bible, God's people struggle sometimes. And so we see that Elijah, like anyone, gets burnt out, gets tired, complains, feels depressed, even right after God did amazing things on Mount Carmel. But Elijah, we see, he's spent and has nothing left. Can anyone relate to him after the couple of years that we've had? Have you ever found yourself where Elijah finds himself, or know anyone who's experienced some of the feelings and the thoughts that Elijah has. And I, for some of you who are doing really great this morning, that is so awesome, praise God. Um, I want you to still listen though. Listen for a friend who might be struggling. Hold this word in your heart for a time that you might struggle again. So be open even if this isn't um, where you're at in this season. So again, what can we learn about our relationship with God and how he speaks to us in our darkest moments from his responses to Elijah? First, one of my favorite things that we learn is that God is super practical. Um, God does not over-spiritualize things. He sends an angel to give Elijah food and encourages Elijah to take a nap. God knows without this meal and sleep, Elijah would not have the strength to go on. So God meets Elijah exactly where he's at in his point of need. And he gives him just enough bread and water to sustain him for the 40-day journey he has ahead. This reminds me of God in the wilderness with the Israelites. He provided manna, which was their daily provision in the desert. And it reminds me of how Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that he taught his disciples, reminds us to ask God for our daily bread. God loves to provide for his people in the desert, and it can be in surprising ways, unexpected ways, maybe not the most glamorous ways, but God wants to provide for his people in the desert. So you, you guys can't read this, but I, hopefully I can remember what it says. But we're not supposed to use Twitter, but this is a PhD student um, at the University of Aberdeen, and she was kind of jokingly summarizing the story of Elijah. And I don't have it written down, but basically she talks about how God likes to meet us through giving us a snack and a nap, and sometimes um, that's the best solution to our problems. Um, and we see 
that God meets Elijah um, with a snack and a nap. Um, and that's the kind of God we worship, is one who provides and sees our small um, but very important physical needs. God doesn't expect us to be these powerful demigods who are without limits and can do everything. God knows that we are human, that we need him, um, and that we need food and water and other things to survive. So God knows that you're human, that I'm human, that Elijah is human, um, and I think that's really good news. Also, one other thing is I harp on the Psalms a lot, but they're one of my favorite books in the Bible because, again, growing up, it felt like to talk to God, you had to muster up all this positivity and you couldn't really be real with God where you were at. But if we're not real with God where we're at, then God can't meet us in our lowest places. If Elijah was pretending like, hey God, I'm doing great, doing awesome, um, then God would never, or God would know, but then it doesn't allow God to meet us in our point of need. So that's why we wanna be honest with God because God can handle our complaints. God can handle us on our worst day. God can handle um, all of the emotions we might be feeling. And I know you guys all know that, but I at least find it helpful to be reminded that God wants to hear what's going on. God wants me to pour out all that's going on um, to him. So in our prayer lives, do we believe that God meets us in those places, that he might encourage us exactly where we are with a nap and a snack? Hopefully after today, um, you'll view this passage differently. So now that we know that God is practical and meets us where we're at, next we see that God is conversational. We serve a God who talks to us. Um, so we see that on the mountain, it's actually Mount Sinai, the same place where God met Moses. The almighty, all-knowing God chooses to engage with Elijah by asking him a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? God doesn't judge him or ask, where's your faith? How have you forgotten everything I've done for you? Why are you complaining? He simply engages him in conversation and allows Elijah to be who he is and where he's at. And all throughout scripture, we see God using questions to build relationship and intimacy with his people. He asked Adam and Eve in the garden, where are you? He asked Hagar in the desert, where have you come from and where are you going? He asked Moses by the burning bush, what do you have in your hand? And he asks Elijah on the mountain, what are you doing here? Sure, God knows the answers to these questions, but seems to use them as an yet another way to connect with his people and grow in relationship with them. Just this week, I asked God in my prayer time because um, I was feeling a little discouraged, and so God, I asked God, what question do you want, are you asking me, God? What question are you asking me? And I sensed he was asking a very simple question, but what, is, what are you thankful for? What is bringing you life right now? And as I um, sought to answer that question, and God reminded me of all of the things that he has provided for me, all of the gifts, um, it was a really, ended up being a really inspiring and sweet time with God um, that started with a question from God. Next in the text, we see that God's powerful encounter with Elijah 
occurs in the sheer silence. Different translations call it a gentle whisper or the still, small voice of God. I'm curious what your immediate associations with silence are. Maybe silence is like associated with punishment or when you're in trouble, or maybe your mom and anytime you can go and like hide in the bathroom and get like one minute of silence, it's like the best thing in the whole world. Um, so I'm not sure what your associations are with silence, if it's more punishment to you or freedom. But at least I know I can be tempted to run from silence or to want God to show up in loud, flashy, dramatic, very clear ways. But I'm beginning to learn very slowly that in silence, God sustains me, liberates me, and grounds me. And in our text this morning, in silence is where Elijah found God's presence to be revealed through a gentle whisper. The text tells us, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, but the Lord was not in the wind. There was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And so that's when Elijah encountered God, and it was probably terrifying, so he pulled the cloak over his face. And so this text reminds us, even if we know it in our heads, that God in this instance is not more present in the wind or the earthquake or the fire, but in the sheer silence, in the quiet whisper, the still small voice. In our new worship center in the children's wing, we wanna help kids grow up knowing that silence can be a good thing. So one thing we do um, to help them prepare for worship is we repeat this at the beginning of our class and we tell them this. We walk quietly and we speak softly in the worship center because God could be speaking to me or to you. Um, and that's just a way that we're trying to help ourselves and our kids realize the beauty of silence and how it doesn't always have to be a punishment or a bad thing, but it's actually a place where we can come and hear from God in powerful and special ways. Do you, like me, ever have resistance to silence? Silence can sometimes feel lonely or painful or scary or confusing. I feel like when we slow down enough and when we're silent, that allows space for maybe all of the negative feelings or resentments or judgments to bubble up. Um, though ironically, as we accept those feelings, as we let God bring those up and we work through them, then we can press in to encounter the wonderful presence of God and what he might be saying to us there. The psalmist, I love the psalmist prayer in Psalm 62, and this has helped me in my own struggle with silence. So the psalmist cries out and he says, for God alone my soul waits in silence. And he repeats that multiple times throughout the psalm. Um, so on days, which is a lot of days, when I struggle with silence, I just repeat Psalm 62 over and over. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. 
So what would it look like to be present to myself and to God in silence? How might God meet us there? You see on the screen, you probably already read it by now, but Henry Nouwen, he is no longer alive, but he is an incredible pastor, and he writes a lot of books on Christian spirituality. I think he wrote like almost 40 books. Um, and so I really appreciate his thoughts about silence, and he helps me think more deeply about silence. So he says, the real work of prayer is to become silent and listen to the voice that says good things about me to gently push aside and silence the many voices that question my goodness, and to trust that I will hear the voice of blessing. That demands real effort. And he reminds me that silence isn't optional if I really want to cultivate that spiritual fire with God, but he says that silence is the discipline by which the inner fire of God is tended and kept. So as we tune in to silence, in my own life I've experienced this, we'll be more able to hear the silent whisper of God. Because God's voice is not always perceptible or easy to hear with all of the noise and all the stuff going on in our brains scrambling for our attention. So you might be a little bit on board with silence, and maybe you already love silence, but Maybe this week I'm encouraging you to turn off music in the car on one way to work and just be silent with God and see what happens. But once we've got the silence part down, how do we tune into the still small voice of God? How do we discern which words and thoughts scrambling around up here are from God? Going back to our text, after revealing himself in the sheer silence, in verse 15, God commands Elijah to go, to go back to Damascus, to go back the way he came. God doesn't leave him in his state of self-pity or despair, but God gives him specific and personal words, redirecting Elijah and giving him a new purpose, a new role as a prophet, a new path. So if we have words that might be from ourselves or our inner critic, those words will kind of cause us to look inward and they can paralyze us and shut us down. Pastor John talked a lot about cycles of shame and how cycles of shame, maybe they last for like a minute, but they do not produce long-term um, change. But with God, you can tell a word is from God when it produces life, when it causes you and propels you to move forward. Like in our text, God is not done with Elijah, and God is giving him a new purpose. He's calling him out of his small perspective and opening up the possibilities to him. Now I'm going to clarify that when I'm talking about words from God, I'm not talking about audible voices from heaven coming down. And maybe you've experienced that, some people have experienced that, but that is not the words that I'm talking about or that the passage is talking about um, today. The, what, what I'm talking about is like the thoughts and impressions that float across your mind. So to illustrate this, I'm gonna have you guys do something a little silly, and I've probably done it before, but bear with me please, close your eyes, um, and sing, it could be your favorite song, the happy birthday song, doesn't matter. Sing a song in your head. 
Okay, you can open your eyes. Um, so what I'm talking about is hearing God through our minds, through our imaginations. That voice you just heard in your head wasn't an audible voice singing. It was in your mind. It was a thought or impression that was floating across your mind that could easily um, be mistaken for your own thoughts, um, that could easily be missed if we're not in silence, if we're not expecting that God is speaking to us. So on our next slide, it's a pretty oversimplified, but it's helped me to kind of think about three different voices that could be going on and how to differentiate them. So if it's a word, like we said, with Elijah that produced life, that set him on a new path, a new trajectory, that gave him hope, it was healing, it was energizing, um, then that word is most likely God. If it is illuminating truth, if it's convicting you, disrupting you, causing life, we can deduce that that word um, is often from God. However, if a word is condemning and shaming, um, you're horrible person, you're good for nothing, you're not good enough, then that word um, we can probably deduce is the enemy, because the enemy is the accuser, the enemy is disagreeing with what God proclaims about us, with God's truth. And the voice that's often more logical, like doing all the to-do lists, you should do this, you got to be better, work on this, um, that's often our own voice, the voice of the flesh. Because um, God convicts us, but when God convicts us, there's a special energetic quality to it. And it's very distinct um, than our own to-do list going on in our brain. So I have not always um, even believed or knew that I could hear from God. So growing up, I grew up going to church and really loving God and always wanting to grow closer to God. Um, but it wasn't until after college when I was working in a really hard job and I was really close to burnout um, and I just really was doubting God's goodness in the suffering that I saw all around me and in my own family. Um, and so I really doubted, God, are you really good? Like, where are you? Like, are you even alive? Like, what are you doing in the world? Um, and so I was really, like Elijah, done and downcast and over it um, and just wanted to be done with ministry and um, yeah, didn't trust God and didn't trust God's goodness. Um, and during this time, someone was praying with me, um, and they heard a word that God was the most marginalized voice in my life. Um, and when they told that to me, it like pierced my heart because I knew it was true. I knew I was listening to all of these other voices, but I was not listening to God. Um, and they pointed me to Psalm 42, which is all about... Um, remembering how one used to go to the worship um, sanctuary with praise and with joy, but how now their soul was downcast and distressed and disturbed within them. And so that psalm, again, spoke directly to my heart. Um, and then God spoke through other people and taught me that I can actually hear his voice and that he wants to bring truth in a really personal way um, to our personal situations. And so scripture is definitely the number one authority. And any word we think we're hearing, we have to test um, against scripture, against our community, against the character of God, which is love. And we always wanna hold anything that we're discerning from God very loosely. Um, and we never want to force a word on someone else. We always wanna 
approach words from God with great humility um, and great fear and trembling. But we shouldn't be so um, hesitant about it that we don't seek God when we're in a tough spot and that we don't believe that like Elijah, that God wants to meet us, God wants to speak to us, and God wants to give us specific guidance and instructions that can move us forward. Um, so that's my encouragement this morning is that in the stillness, in the silence, God is there and God is waiting to speak words of life and healing and truth. Um, and that is what we see in the story of Elijah and that is what God wants to do in our lives and in the lives of our friends and families. Um, and that is the good news and the truth that we can hold on to um, in this current turbulent season in our world. Um, and so that's the good news of our text this morning. Um, and as we close, I'm going to invite us into, uh, to practice this. Don't worry, it's not going to be like 20 minutes or anything, but just a few minutes of silence um, and to see what God might have for us in this silence. Um, and this time, you might not hear anything from God, but I have our next slide I encourage you this week to take some time, grab a journal, um, go into a quiet spot, or if you're a parent, hide in the bathroom, um, bring your journal with you, um, and be still, number one, be still and quiet yourself down. As we saw in our passage, God wasn't in the wind or the fire or the earthquake, but God was in the stillness. So just quiet yourself down, fix your eyes on Jesus, and hear. Be open, be open to spontaneous flow of thoughts or images. Like we said, it's not this audible voice, but it's passing thoughts that you might think are just yourself, but they could be from God. Um, and ask Jesus questions to kind of center and focus your thoughts. Jesus, how do you see me? How are you praying for me? Who do you wanna be for me in this season? What's your love like? And then write it down and analyze it and test it later. And then always, we wanna test everything and hold on to what is good. So whatever we receive, um, we wanna check it with scripture, other people and the character of God. But we wanna have faith that God is speaking and we don't wanna quench the spirit. So have faith that what you hear um, could be from God. So I invite you to close your eyes and to settle into your chair and we're gonna take a few deep breaths. God, would you meet us in the silence this morning. As we come to you, God, would you use this time to speak your words of life to us wherever we're at. So just come before God um, with an open posture and see what God might have for you um, in this silence.
So God, as we continue to practice silence this week, would you help us? Would you pour out your mercy and grace on us? Would you meet us in the silence? Would you whisper your words of life and healing and truth? And as the worship band returns, God, in our final song, would you just speak, Lord, your words of life? What direction do you have for us um, in our next season, God? Like you spoke to Elijah and you told him to go back the way he came to Damascus. God, if you have any guidance for us, any words of hope or life or truth, um, speak to us now um, as we close our service. And we thank you, God, that you listen to us, that you hear us, and that you speak to us um, in the silence and the stillness, and that your words bring life wherever we're at. And so we pray all of this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. So I invite everyone to hold your hands out in front of you for the blessing. So in the name of our God and our Father who comes to us in the stillness and the silence, and in the name of his Son, Jesus, who wants to speak words of life and healing over us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who attends to us in all times and all places, who gives us words of life, would we go forth this week and find spaces of silence to hear you, God, to listen to you, God, and to share your life and your healing words with others. So go in peace, Living Spring, and have a wonderful week.